0: So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with Certified Financial Planner Professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Ryder offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker.
1: Welcome to Master Your Finances. Do you like to gain valuable insights on a range of topics, including leadership, business strategy, and clean energy innovation? Are you interested in learning about the challenges that may arise when starting and growing your own business? Do you want to know how to build a strong brand, assemble teams, and raise funds? If so, you want to hear from Dan Javon, the founder and CEO of Centuity. Centuity is a nationwide renewable energy company that specializes in residential solar, commercial, and utility scale projects. With over two decades of experience, Dan is uniquely qualified to help you feel empowered and confident in your ability to apply the insights and knowledge he shares. He'll motivate you to implement new strategies and take steps towards achieving your goals, as well as inspire you to contribute to environmental stewardship and make positive changes related to clean energy adoption. All right, Dan, thanks first for coming on the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey as a founder and CEO of Centuity and, uh, and what inspired you to start a renewable energy company in the first place?
2: Yeah, Kurt, thanks for having me and um, glad to be on your show. You know, um, I think renewables is probably the fourth iteration in my journey in, in business. It's uh, start off with aviation.
0: Moved into technology,
2: moved into pharmaceuticals, and of course, here I am now in renewables. So this is my fourth iteration. And again, along the way, I've picked up things in life. I think that have helped each iteration do better. You know, really got into the renewables game about 13, 14 years ago, um, and really started with my own home, right, putting solar on my home. Um, And at that time, it was more, more than cost savings. It was really environmental stewardship. To you know, do things right for the environment, but then while doing that, you know, I found out there's a pretty good way of actually saving money, right, while doing that. So, you know, back in the day when I installed my system on my home, it cost $140,000, and wow. you know, back in 2008, 2009, 140000 would buy you a house, and most people thought there must be something actually wrong with me to put $140,000 in a system due to environmental concerns, but what they didn't recognize is my system paid for itself in two years. Oh, wow. Really? Try to get a house to pay for itself in two years, right? And when people come back and say, how did that happen? Um, The simple answer is there's so much incentivization at a federal level, at a state level, and even local jurisdictional level that most homeowners, business owners don't recognize. It's when you find out you're leaving money on the table. Right. So when you start looking at that, now if you bring in a solution that actually almost offsets, if not eliminates, your electric bill, generates revenue through green tags that you get from different states, plus pays for itself in two to five years, and continues to generate revenue for you as a profit center for another 10, 15 years post, I mean, it's a no brainer. The first question people say is well, where's a snake oil? Right. Well, there isn't really a snake oil out here, it's it's actually proven, it's actually available, it's actually publicly available. Uh, But again, so to take that and build the business that we built now, we're licensed in 26 states in the US, we have operations in 25 states in the US, uh, pretty much across most of the Eastern seaboard, parts of the Midwest and the Western parts of the US. Um, We cater to, you know, we'll originate this year Close to, you know, ten thousand homes. Um, that puts us in the top 15 in the country. But again, really, it's um, it's an opportunity I think that every business owner and homeowner should leverage, because it's readily available to you, and now more than ever under the Biden administration. So again, just just a, that's just a journey. Start off with, you know, the environmental side of it, but it quickly transformed in the monetization side of it, which I think. We're going to talk a little
1: bit more about it in this meeting. No, I agree. I think I think most of us understand, you know, the green energy side as far as you know, saving energy and fuel and not having to use uh, natural resources uh, more directly. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about like the mon- monom? Is, been, you touched you just touched on it. Like, I mean, one hundred saving one hundred forty thousand. You must have had an expensive electric bill. That that seems like a big that seems like a big number to me. I'm like, I have, I yeah. have bad bills, but they're not that bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, so back in the day, right. 2008, (laughs) 2009, you know, we were paying $8 a watt for solar, right? So today, solar is almost a third that price. Um, You know, so just, um, you know, the same system would cost you almost three times as much back then. But, you know, you know, the the simplest answer is, you know, how did I actually pay for itself in two plus years? You know, we had green tax from the state at $640 a megawatt hour, you know, like a 10 KW system would produce about 12 of that. Plus, I mean, the offset of electric, plus you get 30% as an investment tax credit from the feds, plus the state of New Jersey back then was paying for 50% of the system, right? So between the federal tax benefits, the state tax uh, benefits uh, or the rebate, plus now the green tax, plus the electric savings, the system paid for itself. So fast oh, forward to where you are today, I mean we're now at about six year payback. But again, when you're a business owner, I mean, I can maybe count on one hand, investments you can make that have a payback of six years or less. I mean, that's a pretty high IRR, right? So, and if you can monetize that with basically a loan, that basically might extend it out another year. If you're trying to track your IRR, it's infinity, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, you don't care about an 18%, 19% return, because the savings and the revenue pay off any loan you have. It's a self-sustaining investment, right? And we can get into details around that. I'm sure your viewers will probably be wondering how and why, but um, there are a lot of options and incentives that are available today that let you do that across the country.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. And I do know that each state is a little bit different. I mean, I remember reading that New Jersey tends to be at the top of the list when they talk about, you know, renewable energy. I mean, I happen to, you know, we're working remotely. So I'm in, I'm actually in Florida right now. And I know I was, su- I was surprised when it, when I didn't hear like Florida was like, you know, the leading, you know, one of the leading states in, in, and solar, when there's so much sun down here, so literally the sunshine state. uh And New Jersey was ahead of it when I was looking at these surveys, which which surprised me a little bit, only because it seems like it'd be pretty easy to, to roll out a solar, uh you know, farm or whatever down in, in Florida. But can you explain a little bit of the dynamics about how like a state like a New Jersey seems to be one of the leaders? Seems to be some of the more northern states, right? Is that yeah? You know, can yeah, you explain so a little I, bit how that all that's working out?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll start with Florida, right? So Florida, you got FPL, right? So FPL, in fact, um, even though the the reason why the utility rates are low in FPL, if you actually look at a lot of the solar installed in Florida today, yes, residential solar. And small commercial solar is beginning to pick up but your utility rates are pretty low right now right so solar has to compete with a low utility rate and the reason why your utility rate is low is because fpnl has some of the largest utility scaled solar products in the country right mm-hmm. so Nextera, which you know fpnl has an option on is um, is in in central florida with hundreds of megawatts of utility scale solar that actually help fpnl subsidize the cost of electricity, I mean, when you look at a utility-scale solar, you're producing power in the one and a half to two cents a kilowatt hour range. It doesn't get cheaper than that. You know, hydro doesn't compete, nuclear doesn't compete at one and a half to two cents a kilowatt hour. Now, when you look at the northern states, most of the power coming out of northern states is either historically coal, you know, which is really the Ohio Valley, or nuclear. And most people don't recognize the production of power in nuclear is cheap but the actual decommissioning of our nuclear power plant costs almost four times as much as building one, right? So now when you start building in cash reserves, that has to reflect in the cost of power. So when you look at your cost of power up in, say, New York, you know, 28 cents a kilowatt hour, compared to FPL at a four cents, it requires initiatives like solar to actually offset that production. And that's really why you see states in the northern or northeast parts of the U.S., generating more incentives towards solar to offset that high cost of power which you know the cost of production itself of the power is high so leading states are like massachusetts connecticut new york now with uh, the different incentives they have new jersey maryland pa right i mean you wouldn't expect pa which is more that's like an
1: oil state that's a big oil state Yeah, it's a red state
2: but (laughs) you know they've got srex and pa too right right um south carolina right They've got state tax credits for solar. So all these states, um, if you're in these states, you can leverage, you know, renewables. And now, of course, if you go west, I mean, California is like a different country, but California with high cost of power has incentives for solar. But you look at other states like Arizona and Nevada that are coming up with incentives. So really, I think there's a lot of opportunity across the country, regardless of whether you, whether you want a business out there or a home out there that you can benefit from. And of course, each state has slightly different incentives that works. But again, most of the Northeast, I mean, it's a, slow, it's a slam dunk. It's a home run. There's no reason why you shouldn't do it.
1: And, and you've been in this for a long time. And I know that I keep reading articles, and you can probably dig deeper into this. Is how It seems to me like the incentives kind of line up with the efficiency of the solar itself, right? So the solar is becoming more and more cost effective to compete directly, right, without incentives. So is that why... Mm-hmm. We went from this like two year payback because it was heavily subsidized by federal and state just to get it started, which, you know, federal government does that a lot. and It's necessary because otherwise people wouldn't. I mean, who's going to pay one hundred forty thousand dollars and not yeah. have any type of incentive to do that? Very few. Right. But That's now right. we're getting to the point where it's kind of like, OK, this is close. <clears throat> so the incentives are much smaller, but the solar itself is less. Right. The actual cost of the commodity is less. So where right. do you This sounds like it's going to be pretty close where just on its own, it's going to start being cheaper based on how what it's becoming more efficient over time, right? Is that is that what's happening yeah. now? Do you seeing that?
2: Yeah. So if you look at certain states, right? New York, for example, or you look at Connecticut, I mean, solar today has grid parity. And what that means is solar can actually compete with utility rates without incentives because the utility rate is so high, $0.28, cents, $0.29. Cents. You look at Hawaii, $0.34, cents, $0.38 cents a kilowatt hour. I mean, you don't need incentive to support solar. If you look at the Virgin Islands, 54 cents a kilowatt hour. You don't need an incentive package to support a 54 cent a kilowatt hour offset. I mean, solar will be that hands down without any incentives. But what I'm alluding to is as the cost of solar comes down, the cost of utility goes up, the feds and the states are pulling back on incentives because they don't need to incentivize and subsidize it as much. So if you play this forward, six, seven years, you're going to have most incentives will run out across the US because solar will be able to compete at grid parity across most of the states across the US in the six to seven year range. But the important thing is what you can do with it now, right? If you take action now, you know, your payback is going to be six, seven years, depending on what state you're in. If you take action six or seven years from now, it might be 10 years, which again, is not a bad payback, on a system that has a life expectancy of 35, 40 years, you know, payback in 10 years, actually to me is a slam dunk. You know, people buy, you know, buildings and depreciate that over 20 plus years. Why won't you do that with solar in 10? But the action that you should take is really now, while incentives and subsidies are pretty strong. So, you know, one of the things that the Biden administration did was they pushed out the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, that actually has a decent amount of incentives in there for renewables. And of course, solar is just part of it. But again, you know, all these regulations, to be frank, is only as good as the next change in Congress and the next, you know, change in the White House, right? So if you have right. these changes happening, you know, really, you've got a two-year window in front of you, or a year and a half. If right. the change you think is going to occur at a con- congressional level or the White House level, this is why you need to monetize in the next two years because you grandfather yourself in when that happens. So the time to act really is now.
1: I, no, I agree. I mean, you have a bird in the hand is better than two, you know, two in the bush, so to speak, right? So you know what you've got and you know your payback time. I know one of these that comes up a lot, at least when I talk to people is, well, what about like my roof on my house? If you're gonna put a solar, I know years ago, I think you've resolved this, maybe you can speak to it though, is if you put a solar panel on there and all of a sudden you get a roof leak in two weeks, two years, now I've got a problem i got to take the solar panels off and i got to fix the roof. And so now my cost of repair goes up. But I believe the industry solved that issue. You want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, no, that's absolutely. So,
2: yeah, no, so technology has come a long way, right? And that includes not just the electronics and the solar, but even the racking systems, right? So the racking systems right now, most of the standoffs including include certain types of butyl tape on it that guarantee you a waterproof uh, attachment point. Um, regardless of how it's, you know, how, how it's installed. Um, in addition to that, any integrator or solar installer across the country with any level of credibility will give you a warranty on the roof, right? Like, for example, we give you a 10-year warranty on the roof, right? so if, And we, we guarantee all the penetrations, which means if you're going to have a problem for the next 10 years, we are going to come out and fix it. And again, we don't usually have a lot of problems using the new butyl tape methods, attachment. But again, it's all part and parcel of what we do. And uh, in addition, the roof under the solar system actually lasts longer. It has less UV exposure, less exposure to the elements. So you actually are indirectly extending the life of your roof. And again, if a leak has to happen, it's going to happen in the first couple of cycles. And most of it happens because of expansion contraction in winter. Um, So if you're in the southern you know, states, you don't have expansion, contraction winter, so that won't happen. But in the northern, it's really, you know, you might have ice damming that actually ends up with some kind of leak. But again, it doesn't happen with the newer technologies out there on attachment points. I mean, that's that used to happen five years ago, six years ago, more often, but it doesn't happen as much right now. I think the industry has really transformed from technology and attachment points that negates that.
1: Okay. So uh, I, I guess another, um, now what about like just the general maintenance of it? I know uh, maybe you address this now, but my, like, you know, I don't know, you need, how often you need to clean these, right? I mean, I mean, they're, they're glass, so, you know, they, is it not a big deal? Is the rain sufficient to keep them pretty yeah. clean? Or, uh, you know, do you have to worry about any of that? Is that pretty natural yeah, the way mean, it
2: happens? Yeah, no, most of the U.S. you don't have to.
1: Maybe in certain
2: parts of Arizona, Nevada, in the desert, you know, climates you might have to uh, clean them out because you don't have rain sometimes for almost a year. But right. most of the U.S., the rain just washes it off. In fact, in the Northeast, you know, when you actually have snow, snow actually attaches itself to any dirt on the roof, right. on the solar. So when it actually melts, it actually just runs off with that. So you, you'll see after a snowstorm, your panels look almost like brand new. So in fact, you don't have really any maintenance or cleaning. And again, there's no moving parts when it comes to solar, right? Mm-hmm. So, um Unlike, you know, wind, where you need to change bearings and things like that, solar is a stationary product, there's no moving parts, and it's, you know, um, basically minimal maintenance, if any. And again, maintenance happens with larger inverters where you're really cleaning like air filters, which again, you know, if, if you've got an air filter, you've got to clean that anyways in your HVAC once a year, you know, you just take it out and do it and it's all readily accessible. But outside of that, I mean, its maintenance is minimal.
1: Excellent. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next
1: Welcome back. You're listening to uh, Master Your Finance with uh, Dan Javon, and we're talking about solar power and uh, some of the things that have been happening over the years to make it a little bit better and how the incentives have actually dropped because uh, they've become more efficient, right? And they've become cheaper to actually install. And they're better to install now because they've resolved some of the issues with the roof and and really don't have to maintain them too often. Um, So they're pretty uh, low maintenance once you get the things uh, loaded on there. So, let me, let's just talk a little about the branding. So how did you go about establishing and maintaining like Centuity's branding identity? So what strategies you used to differentiate your company from other competitive renewable energy companies out out there? Because I know that when this first started to happen, it like everybody I heard of, it was like, oh, I'm in the solar business. <laughs> it's like, I can't tell you how many people I talked to were in the solar business that, you know, a year later, they weren't in the solar business, let's just say. Yeah, no, I, you
2: know, you know, uh, I, I completely did record. It's uh... You know, it's solar started off as a cottage industry, right? So you had a lot of folks that basically were in carpentry and electrical work that got into solar, but very few, you know, business owners jumped into solar that had prior Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 experience. You know, that's been my background, right? So I come out of Fortune 100 companies. And to be able to scale, you know, the business requires you put things into place that starts from personnel and products and, and deliverables all the way up to finances. Um, you know, so when we got into the actual solar transactions, really, it was never on a transactional basis. It was really to meet, ex- meet and exceed expectations, we set with our customers, because that's really how businesses grow. You know, uh, I already learned early on that you need to build trust every day with your customers, with your colleagues and your partners, right? And Using that mantra is really what's been propelling our business forward. Um, We try to always exceed expectations. Don't set promises you can't deliver on. And one thing that's extremely important, and you'll see a lot of fly-by-night guys, you know, two men off a bus. Like you said, we're in the solar business. Um, You know, don't do things that you know are in the gray area. Don't do things that are illegal. Don't skirt on laws because at the end of the day. You're putting a power plant on someone's house or business, right? If you don't know what you're doing, you can do a lot of damage. And you know, a lot of people look at the lowest price point. They might look at the quality of the product, but what they miss is the quality of the workmanship of the of the actual installation, right? So, um, so part and parcel of what we did was bring in talent that actually was used to delivering with quality. Like we've got a full, you know, QA QC department that actually reviews every single project. You know, uh, to do more of that, I think is really sort of what started building the brand image of the organization. But then of course, at the same time, it's being able to scale. And a lot of that comes from prior experiences I've had in other businesses.
1: No, that's excellent. And you bring up something, because I know, you know, when I was hearing, I mean, there's only so many, I mean, there I don't know how many there are, but there's several big companies that make solar panels, right? But there's more people that actually install them so even though you might have the same name of the product you, the installation is still important it's just like hiring a carpenter I mean, you can go down and buy two by fours down in home depot and they're all going to be pretty much the same no matter who buys them but how they get installed and built how it builds your house out could be very different depending on the skill set of the, of the carpenter that came in there to actually do the work right um right so I, I i agree especially with a roof um and you're right it is a power plant people don't realize you've got whatever 7,500 kilowatt, whatever the number is on your roof, that that's a power plant. So it's, uh, you know, you need to pay attention. There's a lot of power coming out of that and you can get hurt or killed if you don't treat it correctly. Right. Yeah. So- yeah. I mean,
2: and, and people sometimes, you know, skimp on the pricing, you know, it's like heart surgery, right? If you're going to replace your valve, would you go to the cheapest surgeon in the lock? Right. You wouldn't, right. You'd go to the, the best skill, the one who has the highest ratings, you know, the one that actually delivers, you know, success every time. I mean, people need to keep that in mind because, like we said, it's um, uh, if you don't do it right, you can do some damage.
1: Right. So that's really important. So you talked a little bit about like because you came from a Fortune 500 background. So you want to tell us a little bit about some of the key principles used in actually building the team? And then how do you ensure like there's a cohesive uh, there's between and motivation in the workforce there? So how do you make sure they're all because it's become a large if you're doing 10,000 hours a year? That's a pretty big business. I'm sure you're not out on every side of every house when they're being built. So you've got to have a nice team in place.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you're only as good as your weakest link and you're only as good as the leaders in your organization that actually uh, downstream, right? So the important thing is making sure at any given time you exceed expectations. And again, I'll be humble enough to acknowledge that we've not always done that, but we've always had the intent to do that, right? And what that means is when you know relationships are built not when things are going well. It's when things are not going well. What you do differentiates you from the others, right? And we always like to stand behind our installs and our product and differentiate ourselves when it comes to that. A lot of people don't think of that way. Right? You know, it's uh, maybe it's I'm a more traditionalist when it comes to business acumen around it. But I think there's still a place, um, you know, in 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 the country today in the world today, for some of these traditional business methodologies where. You know, a handshake means something, promising someone that you deliver on means something, right? And I think people actually appreciate that. So so from our perspective, it's deliver with excellence, exceed expectations, surround yourself frankly with people that know more than you do, right? If you're the most knowledgeable person in the room, as a leader, you've got a problem, right? You need to get to a point where you can become obsolete in your organization. And the day you can do that, you actually build a successful organization. A lot of leaders that are new to the game feel that as a threat. Right, that's really not a threat i mean there's really nothing for you to lose it's your organization but to do those things i think are the things that you use to you know get your success and then obviously build a culture your culture has to be built around excellence leadership you know leading from the front and also have a sense of humility because if you don't have humility you can't acknowledge mistakes you made if you can't acknowledge mistakes you made you're not going to be able to fix them so those are just some of the things that you know me at a personal level I leverage and a lot of this stuff, you know, Kurt, I mentioned, I started off my background in aviation. You know, I used to be a commercial pilot, I used to be a flight instructor. I mean, in aviation, there's no room for error, right? You have checklists, but you also have to acknowledge mistakes because if you don't, you know, you've got 150 lives or 200 lives behind you that get impacted by actions or inactions, right? And that's why you have checks and balances, right? The day you recognize that, regardless of whether you're the owner of the company or the CEO of the company, Your fiduciary obligation starts to your customers and to your company. Everything else else has to fall in line. I think you're gonna start executing along those lines. And those are just some of the morals um, and qualities that I've actually leveraged to actually help grow my businesses.
1: And you bring up some really valid points. I mean, I had had a personal experience with like a large HVA company locally, it was regional. And they actually made a mistake, they installed the wrong unit. And very expensive to to pull it out and put a whole new unit in um they asked you know they we went through negotiation but i really wanted that unit and they actually did it and didn't complain and it's like i because I, I know how much money they lost on that but you know they made a mistake and i'm sure they learned things they put things in place and but i they use them i now use them for everything because i know if something goes wrong they're gonna if they agreed to do it they're gonna do it right you know yeah. so
2: they've probably made I, more money with referrals through you oh my god that. yeah
0: then the i agree
2: you're right, you're not yet, right so you know, that's what we need to roll forward.
1: on. So, And I think in your point out, I think a lot of businesses, they, lo- they look very myopic on like, this one transaction. If I lose X dollars, I mean, you know, I'm going to suffer a loss. It's almost like, well, hey, look, if you resolve a problem, it, that's a marketing cost in my view, right? It's kind of like, hey, you made a mistake. We all make mistakes, but we learn from those mistakes. So that means that next hundred that go out the door, you're probably not going to make that mistake. The next thousand, the next two thousand, whatever the number is. That is highly unlikely to happen because you're going to put something in place to prevent that or minimize the chance of that ever happening again. And I'm sure you probably had some things along your way where you're like, oh, we don't want that happening again. So here's what we're going to do now to make sure no other customer has to to be involved in that particular situation again, because we had some break in our system or our process. It wasn't quite working the way we hoped it would work, right?
2: Yep, absolutely. You're spot on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm here with Dan Javan, and we're talking about solar, which is pretty great. And learning learning how to put a good team in place, and really paying attention to your customer and trying to resolve issues, because that is the best way to to gain, gain trust among your uh, your base. Um, so, how did you get this started? I mean, you had to go out. You, this is a relatively new industry, so to speak. You had to go out and get funding. And so, what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs that might be seeking capital for their renewable energy ventures they may be thinking about? What would you suggest to them?
2: Yeah, so my first response is get creative. And what that means is, you know, think outside the box, right? So most people that get into a business or want to launch something, the first idea is, well, how do I leverage the banks and get a loan, right? Um, there's different ways of actually raising cash and capital well beyond just banks. And again, I'm not talking about the private equity side. I mean, so one of the advantages in the solar industry is you know, there are existing finance companies uh, that actually finance projects that have milestone payments, right? I mean, that's the cheapest way you can actually raise capital that is project-based. right? again, you know, based on the milestone, you can have surplus cash in there that you can leverage to run the operations and actually build an operations. But the important thing is, one of the first things you should do is try and put you know, job costing on a per project basis. Um, if you're actually going to try to raise capital um, or again, if you're just a business in general, really make sure that your use of funds is for the appropriate means that you actually took the cash out. of. I mean, in addition to that, you know, for renewables today, you have green banks that are willing to give you loans at low interest rates. You have different finance companies that will fund you. You have EPCs that will actually own the system and just sell you the power through a PPR lease agreement right, that you can actually then buy out after six years or seven years from them,
0: right, so let them yeah. bear their
2: initial upfront cost, right, that's another yeah.
1: methodology, and now, a, all, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're going through a lot of strategies, which I don't think the listeners are going to quite catch on, so you might just talking, and anyway, let's, we'll get through them all, I would definitely want to get through them all, okay. but you want to break down maybe how that project base works or might have you just give us kind of a structure an example structure of like how that might work i mean i don't you've been doing this a long time so you're you're, you're more, so tell us okay i'm gonna that's a great idea so what are what, how would i kind of do that i mean what's uh what are some methodologies apart like just basic just the basics not too much detail but what the basics I yeah, yeah. Do so so the,
2: so the easiest financing you can get frankly is a loan for the project right so you can get a loan from the green bank, you can get it from the SBA, you can get it from your local bank. That's one methodology. Um, and again, getting a loan is fairly straightforward. You basically have your financials that you offer them and they'll say year and a. and then it's going to be for, for the project itself. You know, most banks will give you a loan today with no liens on your actual asset, other than the project itself. Right. That's one way of doing it. The other option I brought up is like a bar purchase agreement or a lease where you don't have to own the system at least not on day one, just buy the power from the system, let somebody else own it and fund it and have a buyout option, right? To me, that's actually usually the best way to do it is if you do that, the system is now being run, tested, maintained, insured at someone else's you know, expense. And then, you know, like a lot of a lot of business owners may not have the tax appetite, right? You take all the tax benefits. Having a PPR lease is probably the best way to do it because A third-party financier takes all the tax benefits, just like you're leasing equipment, right? There's no difference between leasing a solar and leasing a vehicle. You do it the same way, and then you do a buyout clause at the end of six years or 10 years or whatever. The system's already been tried, tested, proven. It's reliable. The guarantees and warranties, you know, are in place. At that point, you do a buyout, and then you take a loan, right? Or then you can actually run that off cash flows. Like in states where you have SREX, right? Uh, Green Tax, Jersey, Maryland, uh, Massachusetts you could even forward contract on the green tags. like for example New Jersey it's a hundred dollars a kilowatt hour uh, megawatt hour for 15 years let's say you had a hundred kW system that would give you about twelve thousand dollars of green tax you can take a loan against the green tax right mm-hmm. and collateralize just the green tax you can even actually sell your green tags up front uh, for a discount based on you know a discount rate that you can agree upon 6%, 7%. So there's a lot of different ways. And I know, I mean, I can pretty much write, you know, several pages around this because there's so many different creative ways of doing this. But again, I started off the discussion saying you have to get creative. There's a lot of money sitting out there. Like even the department of commerce is sitting on cash that you can leverage. Are are there any...
1: are there any resources somebody could go to to kind of research like some methodologies on a finance like green or solar? I mean, are yeah. there places that kind of hubs that you can go to and kind of say, hey, here's here's some options that we see are working right now?
2: Yeah. So, so there'll be, so I'll give you a high level. So, if you go to the CIA website, uh, which is SEIA.org, which is the Solar Energy Industries Association, they have different types of financing on there. Now, I won't give you details of who the financiers are, but it'll tell right. you different options, right? And if you now just run a Google search for certain types of financing in solar, you'll get pages and pages of companies that are willing to provide it, right? I mean, when we started in renewables and solar 12 years ago, we had maybe folks you can count on one hand, right? Solar is now a multi-billion dollar industry and the financing portion of it is even bigger. So, I mean, there's financing readily available. All you have to do is know what keywords to use and you can pick up the keywords from the SEIA website and run searches for that.
1: Okay, that's fantastic. Wow. The, I had no idea there was that many different ways. to. I mean, I heard I know some of those things, but I was like, wow, that's a lot of different options out there. So let's just say that it's developed and it's matured to the point where the, the bigger investors are very interested in this, because I guess they're seeing, uh, they're probably seeing a pretty good return and a relatively low risk rate, I'm going to assume, right? Is that... Is that what's been yeah. kind of happening out there? Uh, it's it's a yeah. relatively low risk strategy for people. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So default rates are really low because, you know, solar saves you money. So if someone is defaulting, right. they're going to have to pay a high electric bill. And what happens with the high right. electric bill that you don't pay is you get shut off. Right. So it's a utility that you can't live right. without. So you'd rather pay your solar bill than have to pay a high utility rate. Right. So when right. you look at default rates, it's really low, uh, even with all the issues of the pandemic and and, and you know, capital markets tightening up. The default rates are pretty low because people typically pay the utility bills, right? You know, so yeah. it, it's a fairly risk-averse transaction. And at the end of the day, if you don't pay your bill, the financiers have the right to redirect the power to the grid, anyways, and they'll just monetize
1: it from the utility. So they have. Oh, there backstop. you go. It's like assignment enough. of leases for a commercial <laughs> that, landlord. So, <laughs> the bank like, is like, you've got a so- stuff. Right, so, uh, well, what if when I sell my home, I'm assuming these are now assignable, right? I can assume them or assign them. Um, yeah, yeah. So you correct? can assign
2: them, and again, many financiers have an automatic approval flow in there. So you know, and some of them will come back and say the new homeowner has to, you know, qualify. But again, qualification criteria actually go down each year. Right. When you first right. got into this, you need to have a seven eighty score. I mean, now you can get a lease or a PPA down to six hundred with certain programs right so uh, and anyone coming in that qualifies for a mortgage is going to have a score well well above that and it's only going to save them money so there's no reason why people wouldn't do it so
1: okay so yeah i've never seen an issue with somebody transferring a house with solar on it personally but uh but i know there's a process you do have to have an extra couple steps in there but it just it just you know it's an
2: extra form that you sign. that's it
1: Right. So any other financing ideas? I mean, you've got a lot of ideas out there. Any other resources for that? So, um, no, I mean,
2: it, it, it's different for different, you know, opportunities, right? So like, for example, under the IRA, now you have obviously the ITC, the investment tax credit was there before. But now you also have a PTC, which is a performance tax credit, right? So you actually get paid based on the performance of the system as another revenue source on top of the power that you save and produce. Right. So I would recommend people look at ITC and PTC online for solar and you'll see different ways of financing. And you can finance the performance revenue also on a system with a loan against that. Right. So there's just so many options out there. Uh, And again, you know, obviously different folks in different states have different, you know, things that they cater to. You have state tax incentives and state loan incentives too. like New York has a green bank. Right, so they'll actually loans for you know different solutions in New York for the commercial side of it, in addition to you know all the other financiers that you have that you need to put money in. So um, all I'd say is it's just a ton of opportunities out there. If you do the research, you'll find different options, and um, you know you should be
1: able to monetize it. Excellent. We're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm here with Dan uh, Javon, and we're talking solar and a lot of opportunities, lots of ways to finance it, lots of incentives and credits from the federal as well as a lot of the states. So you need to look at both levels there. Um, so going forward, you know, solar is obviously developed a long time since I first heard about it in the 70s and I was putting like reflecto shield on the side of our windows on the house to try to take advantage of not having the house get too hot, you know, a way to save energy and during the energy crisis of the 70s. I know we've gone a long, long long way since then. So what do you see as being some of the most significant opportunities or, or potential roadblocks coming up for companies like Centuity and in the, new, in the renewable energy industry? So what's coming up in the years that we're looking forward now?
2: Yeah, no, so I think one of our biggest challenges has always been, educating our customers, right? I mean, the opportunity is there, the incentives are there, but if you don't know about it, there's no value, right? So we spend most of our time educating folks on what the options are, right? Um, And then obviously once you educate folks, the question is really what's my cost of capital? What's my cost to finance? Because obviously 90% of this industry runs off financing. You know, so one of the things that we started differentiating ourselves with is how do we get in front of a larger audience, right? So part of us, so we're actually looking at going public in the upcoming months. You know, part of that is leveraging the public forums to actually get the word out on the different opportunities and obviously the options that Centuri has to offer across um, the, the, the country. In addition, the other challenge has been cost, right? So cost has obviously come down quite a bit, but you know, there's still a long way to go. And most people don't recognize, right, if you look at the actual breakdown of the cost of solar. You know, I'd say about a third of the cost is acquisition, sales. Another mm-hmm. third is buying down your loan, APR, uh, depending on whether it's residential or commercial. And then the actual system itself, you know, with our entire margin stack and everything else in the EPC is really 40% of the cost, right? So if you can start bringing down the cost of acquisition, you bring that cost of financing down, um, you now are able to bring down the oral cost by almost 25 to 30% at a minimum, right? So one of the reasons why we're also going public is access to cheaper cost of capital because then we can leverage that cheaper cost of capital and then obviously, you know, um, leverage that for our customers. Um, the other thing that we've done, and we just put a press release out, is our first direct-to-consumer website, right? In the past, you want to buy a car, you would go to a dealership, right? So up to now, you want to buy solar, someone's got to knock on your door, but you got to call a sales guy, he's got to show up. And he's going to charge you, in your cost stack, a cost of acquisition that could be as high as 30%. So with our direct-to-consumer website, it's AI-enabled, financing approval on the website, contracts all on the website, engineering all on the website through AI technologies at a cost that's about 35% cheaper. And you can go out there right now, buy a system in 15 minutes, fully finance it, and actually walk out of there with a full design, full contracts, um, that you'll actually get a site survey data on where we'll actually come and take a look at your house or your business and actually let you know if this is all good to go. But again, so it's the first website of its type that's AI enabled in the industry. And we're doing that because we want solar to be a lot more accessible to people. and to do that, you've got to bring the cost down because as you bring the cost down, you open up new states and new markets because now you can compete with lower utilities. And again, so, Our direct-to-consumer website's open to all states in the continental US today, and you can transact. But it's stuff like that that we need to do as an industry to actually grow the industry. I mean, if you look at all of last year, the industry installed maybe 600,000 homes, right, across the country, which is nothing. I mean, penetration rate of solar today, 4.6%. There's almost 93.4% of upside if we can actually do things differently And, you know, there's projections right now in the next six to seven years, a country will be at about 20% of penetration with solar, but it's not going to happen if you don't do these things to bring the cost down, make it more accessible, bring the cost of capital down. And those are the things that we are doing as an organization and also as a move towards being a public company to be able to leverage that for a customer base and consumer base.
1: It, one of the things I read, and I don't know what this means, and you can maybe explain this further. I just remember reading an article like in California, they're having all new homes at some point need to be solar ready. So how does that differentiate between an older home that's already been there for 30, 40 years? And How does that help as far as this process goes? And do you see that happening more and more where the contractor either voluntarily or maybe a state is like requiring it as part of the code? Yeah. What, what do you kind of see and happen yes, out so that- there as far as allowing this to happen?
2: Yeah, so that's already happening across more than just California, right? So it's happening in Colorado. It's happening in many northeastern North states. In fact, New Jersey, like I think year before last passed a law, any warehouse more than 10,000 square feet has to be equipped for solar. It doesn't need to have okay. solar on it, but equipped for solar means structurally the roof has to be sound to take on additional weight for solar. addition, the electrical systems have to be sound enough to be, have to be able to take the back feed, right? So you're right. seeing this right. happening more and more. You know, one of the things that we've taken for granted, I think, in the U.S. that our European counterparts have not is availability of power, right? I mean, if you go to Texas today, they don't have power half the time. If it wasn't for solar installations in Texas, the grid would go down, right? If you look at Europe with what's going on with Ukraine and Russia, I mean, energy is not a commodity. It's a necessity without which, I mean, countries literally shut down. Right. We've taken that for granted in the U.S., but I would foresee 10, 15 years from now, renewable production on site is going to become a matter of national security. Most people don't recognize that. I mean, already you're getting into a situation where you have hurricanes, storms, you know, you have homes that are solar with batteries that stay up and running when the rest of the grid goes down. Right. Um, It might sound like, well, it's not a needed thing, but say that to someone that's got you know, someone on a ventilator in the house, right? If they lose power, what happens? People die. So it's going to become a point of necessity in the next eight to 10 years across the U.S. And while the incentives are there, you know, people need to take advantage of it right now. So that's, I see where things going across the U.S. in the next decade or so.
1: You brought you brought up one point that I know comes up a lot that I didn't even think of until you just said it with the, the battery, the backup, right? Solar is great when the sun's out, but... Occasionally, gets dark at night, so, um, so yeah. You know, how is that? Why don't you explain how that technology has been moving? I know, you know, the, you know, the Teslas out there, and mm-hmm. right? we hear about that kind of thing as far as the electric car, EVs. That's that stuff. But how's it been? How's that relating the bi- battery technology? What's going on in that universe, and how's that affecting the viability of solar as far as your home mm-hmm. and what you just spoke of as far as losing power for a bit a bit of time?
2: Yeah, no. So, so batteries, right? play more than just one role. Most people look at batteries as ability to go off grid in case of power loss. But most people don't recognize in many states, you know, you've got time of use uh, laws for power, right? You've got demand uh, response cost of power. And that happens with businesses too. So now if you can leverage storage, which by the way, costs have come down significantly and you can, you can spend an hour talking with your storage. You know, if you fast forward to where things are gonna go in five to 10 years, and it's already happened in California with an M3, batteries become a revenue source for you because you can store power in the battery from the solar and then sell that power to the grid during time of use. You can sell frequency regulation availability. You can sell demand response availability. So not only are you monetizing kilowatt hours from the solar, you're monetizing kilowatts and kilowatt hours from the battery, not just in the home, but also on the grid. And I'll take this one step further because now EVs, into gear around this because that's really what's, what's going to drive solar and storage adoption. The biggest battery in your home 10 years from now is not going to be the battery on the wall, it's going to be the battery in the car. right? If you look at EV technologies now, more and more EV charging companies, which is again one of the reasons why Centurity invested in a national EV charging company, Blue Dot, was the battery in the car will eventually power your home. And, or the grid, right? So when you start thinking along those lines, you know, your battery in your car, like I have a BMW iX50, I have a 113 kilowatt hour battery, that's a big battery, right? Mm -hmm. It can easily power your home. And at the same time, if you have grid imbalance, I can redirect the electrons into the grid and actually generate revenue in certain states like California, right? So that is where technology is going. So if you start equipping your home now, right? All this time we've been talking about revenue from kilowatt-hour production on solar. What people also need to start looking at revenue generation from kilowatts and electron transfer into the grid from storage, in addition to solar, that's going to help propel renewables even more. And that's coming. It's already here in California with M3, and we all know what happens in California happens in the rest of the U.S. Over the next five to six years. So that's where we are.
1: Awesome, Dan. It's been great. The time just flew by. I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, Any final word or two before we leave today?
2: No, I mean, um, like you said, there's got to be a sense of urgency, I think, to leverage solar technologies. I think the technology is proven, the financing is available, and it's a revenue source that most people uh, don't recognize. And then just really from our perspective, really, we're in this for the long haul. We're in this to build Uh, and educate customers and consumers. And, you know, the adoption of what we've been putting in on the EV side and the storage side, I think obviously is going to propagate a lot of that stuff. But um, Kurt, I guess in a nutshell, I think this was extremely enjoyable. I appreciate you bringing me on and maybe we can have a follow-up session sometime in the future
1: for this. Uh, That sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again, uh, Dan. Appreciate you coming on. You've listened to Master Your Finance. You can subscribe. Don't forget it. MasterYourFinances.us. Have a great day.
0: That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.